Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Grace Fellowship Church. Uh, Welcome also to your babies and children. We invite you to keep them in the service with you, but if you would prefer to use the nursery for your babies, that's provided in the back and around the corner. You will also need a, a Bible, a pen, and an outline. And so if you need any of these, just uh, signal the folks in the back, and they will hustle up uh, those things to you. Um, if you would like to support the church financially, there's an address on the website, and there's also a box in the back that you may use. Uh, my name is Bill Drips, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace Fellowship Church. We'll be on page 635 in the church Bibles today, page 635. Today we're concluding a five-sermon series on the heavenlies, as described in the book of Ephesians. The heavenlies basically just means God's presence. What is said and done before God defines ultimate reality. A number of evangelical churches in State College are all preaching on this topic together. They're called the City Church. On Sunday evening, February 9th, you'll have the opportunity to meet with other believers from these churches to pray for our churches and for our city. The first sermon in this series covered, in this series, covered how in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3, God has given us every blessing in the heavens. In Christ's kingdom, we already have everything necessary for happiness. That's pretty awesome. Second, in Ephesians 1, 19 through 21, we saw that Christ is seated in the heavenlies. Jesus had to go through death, but then he was resurrected to God's right hand. Since that same resurrection power energizes us, we may have to go through hard things, but the final outcome is certain. Or as I like to say, the fix is in. Third, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, we saw that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. This heals all our brokenness, first with God, then with others, and finally with ourselves. Fourth, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, God's wisdom is revealed through the church. Adam's sin in Eden resulted in a flaming sword cutting man off from God. The church is God's witness that Christ's sacrifice has restored our access. And this, this is God's witness to his wisdom and how he's worked through the ages. That's pretty awesome stuff. But though all this is true, all is not well on planet Earth. You may have noticed. Men rage against God. Man's inhumanity to man surrounds us. Everybody smiles for the photos, but often the smiles are only skin deep. Anybody ever have that problem? Yeah, me. What is the problem? We must face the fact that we are at war. We didn't want a war, but we have one. We're very grateful that God has chosen us to be on his side, but it's confusing and uncomfortable. This morning, 
I'm going to give you essential information that you must have to survive this war. You need to understand God's strategy and our aim, which is to stand against the devil's schemes. You need to understand God's resources and our armor, which are spiritual weapons of tremendous strength. And finally, you need to understand God's tactics and our actions, which are to pray and to preach. Now, I just gave you what goes in the blanks on your outline, but don't worry. I'll repeat them again so that you can fill them in as we go. So let's start with our our first point, our aim. Our aim is to stand against the devil's schemes. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, and if you have the church Bible, page 635. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. The first thing to realize is that the strength that Paul is talking about is the Lord's strength. It's not ours. And essentially what it is is his implacable determination to see us through. We are weak. The good news is he is not. <clears throat> we, uh, we saw the movie last night, Captain Phillips. Anybody seen that movie? Yeah, it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's one of those that you, you kind of keep, keep pinching yourself to stay awake, right? <laughs> it's totally tense. And uh, the Somali pirates have hijacked a ship, and they've gotten the captain off the ship, and he's in the little lifeboat with the <laughs> Somali pirates. And they're all tough and, you know, ornery and all this stuff. And then the camera backs out. And um, the small ship is a DDG like Katie's on, if you... Remember, Katie, it's huge. There's two other ships, both larger. And they're surrounding this little bitty lifeboat. And the Somali pirates are like, yeah, we're in control. God's strength is like that. We're down here saying, well, I got to be in control. God's got immense resources. There's no limit on his power. His implacable determination to see us through. It's shown through the blessings he's given us. God is so strong, he can give us all we need before we even straighten up and fly right. He's confident he can pull it off. It's shown in the access he provides. We don't have much power. What we do have is access to the source of all power. It's okay. I'll take it. I probably wouldn't know how to use all that power myself. So we're talking about standing against the devil's schemes. We've talked about being strong and how it's the Lord's strength. Let's go on to B, stand against the devil's schemes. Now, first of all, who's the devil? That is not a popular topic to talk about these days. Everybody kind of goes, hey, hey, yeah, the devil, if he really existed. You know what? (laughs) 
in science, you believe the things that there's evidence for, right? Even if you can't see it. How many of you believe in electrons? How many of you have ever seen an electron? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. How many of you have noticed evil in the world? (laughs) How many of you have trouble believing there's a source behind that? What can we say? There is a devil. Who is he? He's a fallen angel. We don't know all about how he fits into God's plan, but he's certainly an example for us of the folly of rebellion against God. His whole existence is futility and frustration. He's not an evil God. He's not anything like God. He's an accuser, an adversary, a slanderer, a deceiver, and a divider. He doesn't create life or take it away. He only accuses, deceives, and divides. Uh, one, uh, one pastor has said he comes down to deceive and goes up to accuse. That's what he does. He's a loudmouth. What are his schemes? What are his schemes? His schemes are all deceptions, accusations, divisions. The devil has schemes. He doesn't have power. He may be scary or angry. You may be fearful and weak, yet your position is impregnable, and he is fundamentally flawed and weak. His schemes don't have power. In fact, he only has the power over us that we give him. We've got the Lord's power. How in the world do we end up giving over to him? His schemes have the appearance of power, but not the substance. You know, an example of a scheme would be a pyramid scheme in the financial markets. Now, you may have heard of that in the news. What it is, is um, you advertise that you have fantastic returns on investment. And you put together this, you know, really cool portfolio that, uh, that that convinces people to give you money to invest because you've got this great investment. And what you do is you use the money from the second investor to pay off the first investor. And then the first investor goes, wow, man, I made so much money. Now you get 10 more investors. And you use them to pay off the second investor. And now you got all these people. you got a couple of guys saying it. Now you get a lot of investors. you got a lot of people saying this is a great deal. A lot of people are giving you the money. As soon as you get that big pile of money, the key thing is to get out of Dodge. <laughs> In other words, there's actually no money being made. It's a scheme. It's a cheat. It's a fraud. That's what the devil does. He promises you everything. He says, it's going to be great. It's awful. It is truly awful. It's a cheat. It's a fraud. Have you ever been cheated? Ever been defrauded? You know, it is a nasty experience. And that's one thing that really helps us as we're dealing with these issues, is to take a little bit longer view. Don't look at the excitement in the beginning. 
Look at the longer-term view and having to deal with the reality. So he's fundamentally flawed and weak. We win by standing. Adam and Eve lost by doubting God, not by being overpowered. Adam and Eve were banished from Eden, but God immediately set to work to redeem them. We win not because we don't doubt. We do doubt. We win because God will not let us go. That's our confidence. Satan is is tempting us. He's uh, defrauding us. He's deceiving us. He's accusing us. Have you ever really done something wrong? No, I mean, not you guys, but but I have. <laughs> and you know what? I just, once I really once it really comes home that I have really done what's wrong, you know how I feel? I feel sick. I feel awful. <clears throat> but what God but God has the solution to that. We have been forgiven. If the Lord of the universe says that you're covered, You are covered. So even though we doubt, even though we do the wrong thing, we win because God will not let us go. The devil's schemes, his temptations are all cotton candy. I remember the first time I had cotton candy. You know, it was just on this little thing here, this little paper stick, and it was huge, you know. And, oh, man, that stuff tasted good. And I just went to town, and I got that whole thing down. And then how did I feel? (laughs) It was a total cheat. I mean, all the vitamin C I got, right? (laughs) That is what the devil does. And we are so foolish to let him do it. So we stand against the devil's schemes. We need to be strong. We need to stand against the devil's schemes. We need to realize this is a spiritual battle. There are many problems in our world. Crime, abortion, gay marriage, the economy, global warming. None of these are the real problem. None of these are the real battle. The evening news misses it totally. The real battle is believing God. The real answer is always run to Jesus. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, no matter how good, no matter how bad things are, remember that any answer except run to Jesus is at best temporary. Take the long view. It's like going into debt. Maybe you get a great vacation, right? You get that cruise, it's only $1,200, they'll loan you the money. Yeah, go for it. And then what happens? Maybe you get a great vacation, but then you pay and pay, and pay, and pay. Don't choose the hard way. Choose the easy way. The easy way is repent of your idolatry, turn to Jesus, ask for his help. Now, you'll notice I said hard and easy in the opposite of the normal order. See, because temptation and doing the wrong thing appears easy, but is hard. Doing the right thing appears hard, but in the long run, is a lot easier. Okay, we've looked at 
being strong in the Lord. We've looked at standing against the devil's schemes. We've talked about how it's a spiritual battle before God. And then in verse 13, Paul talks about taking on the whole armor to stand firm. This is our job. Put on the armor and stand firm. I can handle that, right? There will be evil days when your armor gets knocked off. Simply pick it up and put it back on. In other words, confess your sin, turn to Christ in faith. There will be evil days when you don't stand firm. Okay? Just start standing firm. Again, confess your sin, turn to Christ in faith. <clears throat> now, one way that uh, that I've experienced the brokenness of the world is this. I am not a linear thinker or a linear communicator. If I didn't have these carefully written notes up here, I could not get through this in, in linear order. I, uh, yeah. But I am intuitive. And as a young person, I learned to compensate by relying on my intuitive insights rather than working things out step by step. One of the devil's schemes for me was to believe that that was plenty good enough. You know, but it's not. Because, sadly, what I'm doing when I rely on that is I'm expecting other people to step into my intuitive world rather than loving them enough to step into their step-by-step world. Yeah. I thought everybody thought the way I do. Actually, I was doing exactly the opposite of incarnating the gospel. And I need to repent of this wicked inclination in my heart. And it's not that it's wrong to be an intuitive person. But when I use it as an excuse not to love others, then that's wrong. So we've talked about being strong in the Lord, standing against the devil's schemes. We've talked about the spiritual battle. We've talked about taking on the whole armor of God. And all of that fits understanding against the devil's schemes. We're going to go on now to point to our armor. And our armor is spiritual weapons of tremendous power. And I'm going to read 14 through 17 in Ephesians chapter 6. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, these elements of armor have already been given to you. You don't have to generate themselves, but you may need to learn to wear them properly and use them well. But they've already been given to us. Paul here is talking about the the kind of armor, the kind of weapons that uh, the ancient soldier in the first century A.D. would wear in going to battle. Uh, The modern soldier does things a little bit different. 
one of the things the modern soldier has is what they call a combat vest. And that takes the place of a whole bunch of things. It takes the place of the belt. It takes the place of the breastplate. It takes, takes the place of the, uh, of the shield. So it's all very efficient and all. But it makes it harder to, for us to draw the comparison here. So you'll have to put yourself back in the, uh, in the ancient times and understand what they used. So the truth, which is a belt. Truth ties everything down in its proper place. It keeps us from losing stuff. That's why the ancient soldier needed a belt, was keeping everything organized and where it needed to be. Christians of all people should be friends of the truth. Christians of all people are well-grounded in reality. Jesus is, in fact, the truth. The world around us lives in these shifting sands of shifting truth. We can know what is really true. Um, one book that, that I like to rend, recommend is, is called Victory of Reason by Rodney Stark. We live in an academic community where it's very popular to believe that Christ and his church are opposed to reason. Right? I believe in reason. You guys have faith. Yeah, I got solid reasons. Nothing could be further from the truth. The, the, the truth is not an enemy. The truth is our friend. Because we actually know who he is. <clears throat> and what Stark's book does here, it's called Victory of Reason by Rodney Stark. It shows historically that Christ and his church have been the cause for the rise of reason in our civilization. And it's, to me, just an immensely inspiring thing that the, that the church was actually the source of so many of the, the blessings our secular world enjoys today. So I recommend that. It's greatly strengthened my own conference, confidence in God's revelation. So the truth telling ourselves the truth, believing the truth. That's the first element of our armor, is the truth. And the next element is also in verse 14, and that's righteousness. And we have that breastplate of righteousness. What does a breastplate do? Um, it's actually made of, of metal or of, um, of, uh, of hardened, formed leather. And uh, and it protects us from any real damage. You get a blow on this, and it spreads it out across your whole torso rather than poking holes in you. We may suffer pain and some loss, maybe some persecution, but God's righteousness is granted us. That means we win. That means our eternal happiness is secure. And I'm going to run down through these, and then I'm going to circle back with an illustration to give you some ideas as how you can use these things. Uh, the next element of armor is the gospel of peace, its shoes. Uh, the Roman armies actually moved on their feet. This was their whole logistics and transportation division. Shoes are important to the, the soldiers of today. They were even more important back then. Uh, Roman roads, the famous Roman road system, 
Now, you're picturing in your mind these super highways, right? Roman roads were almost all footpaths once you got away from the immediate environs of the cities. And most of the, the logistics for the Roman army were done by guys with packs on their back, running up and down hills, you know. Um, worked for them, I guess. So for the Roman soldier, shoes were an essential part of getting the job done. And you go too far on hard ground in shoes, and you don't, you, you just can't keep it up. God has work for us to do. The gospel of peace is our shoes. We are to go and make disciples. You'll find great satisfaction and fulfillment in doing a good job, whether it's raising a family or building roads or maybe it's vocational ministry. But while you are doing that, bear in mind, go and make disciples. As Paul says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward You are serving the Lord Christ. As we do this, all work testifies to the Lord. But while you are doing that, go and make disciples. So we have the truth. We have righteousness. We have the gospel. Then we have faith. Now that's our shield. The devil's lies actually really do sting if we believe them. But if instead we choose to put our faith in what God is saying, actually the sting goes away. It actually does. God's perspective removes the sting. Next, verse 17, is the helmet of salvation. Now, that helmet covered the part of you that stuck out over the shield. And what that does is it protects your life in the battle. And salvation does that for us. We can't really lose. And then the final thing here is the Word of God. That's our sword. That's the sword of the Spirit. For the modern soldier, that might be the rifle. Let me give you some ideas here how you you use the Word of God. Number one, put the issues that you're dealing with in the terms used in the Bible. That's one of the favorite things in in terms of uh, Satan's confusing is he states things in different terms than the Bible uses. And when we believe that, we can't understand how the Bible speaks to our situation. And so then we're just off over the horizon. And it makes it easy for us to be deceived. If we put it in the terms of the scriptures, all of a sudden things become much clearer. I'll give you an example. One of the favorite, uh, one of the favorite terms these days, at least in pop psychology, is this idea of codependency. Anybody ever heard of codependency? You got, uh, got a good definition for it? Yeah, where do you find that in the Bible? You're probably not going to find that term in the Bible. But if you talk about enabling others to sin, can you find places in the Bible where other people were enabled to sin? Oh, yes, you can. And how did that work out? Not well. So put things in the terms used in the Bible. Another, another element here is don't speak 
on your own authority, speak God's word. And it's amazing how the impact goes up when we stop speaking on our own authority and just tell people what God's word says. And they say, well, I don't believe the Bible. I said, well, you don't have to believe it. Just listen to what it says. <laughs> uh, the, the, it, it's amazing how when they hear the truth of God's word, faith begins to build. You know, I mentioned how the devil's scheme for me is, um, is, is just hoping in my intuitive thinking because I can do that naturally rather than entering into other people's thinking. The truth is that Christ loved us enough to enter into our world and that I should follow him by entering into other people's worlds. I feel guilty that I've failed to do this many times, but Christ's righteousness covers that. See, see, I'm going down through these different elements here, how the, how the truth corrected my wrong view of my abilities. In other words, it's not good for me to trust in my abilities. It's good for me to use them. It's good for me to trust them. <clears throat> the Christ's righteousness covers the many times that I failed to do the right thing. The gospel tells me to go. Now, that's not necessarily easy. But it does tell me to press into this thing that I'm weak in. I've often failed in this. But here's, here's what, uh, what the truth is. That though I have often failed, faith says that I can do it in Christ. Paul says, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. <clears throat> you try something and you fail, so you quit trying, right? What have you done? You've just ensured failure. You try something, you fail, you try again. What have you done? You've just opened up the possibility of not failing. Which one do you want? Others can and have rejected me because of my sin. But in Christ, my salvation is secure. They can't actually harm me. And finally, my precious intuition is not what other people need. Instead, they need a good, the word of God, the one perfect communication. So as I apply these spiritual weapons to, to, to my behavior, even deeply ingrained things like this, let me tell you what, I learned this farther back than I can remember. This has been a part of me as far back as I can remember. <clears throat> and so these weapons do have tremendous power. They, they, they change even deeply ingrained patterns. So we've looked at the, at the, at the weapons the Lord has, has given us, the truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God. Now we're going to go on to what our action needs to be. Verses 18 through 20, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. First of all, we need to pray constantly 
alertly and persistently. Praying needs to become like breathing, eating, and sleeping. We really need prayer. We must cultivate this habit of prayer until praying first becomes as instinctive as breathing. How do you build a habit in? You just keep doing it, right? And it hasn't become a habit yet? Well, do it some more. You do something enough, it actually becomes a habit. We must stay alert for opportunities to pray. Have you ever missed an interstate exit because you weren't paying attention? (laughs) We miss opportunities to pray because we're not paying attention. What do you need to do about missing that interstate exit? You need to pay attention, right? Whatever it takes. You know, slap yourself silly. Whatever it takes, you know, don't miss the exit. Pay attention. We can learn to be alert in in prayer. And we must persist in prayer, even as any worthwhile project requires persistence. I mentioned earlier how a significant number of evangelical churches are meeting for prayer next Sunday. February 9th at 6 p.m. at Stepping Stones Church, just down the road here. Go, um, what, half a mile down and turn left, and you're at Stepping Stones. That would be a great way to apply Ephesians demonstrating unity in prayer. So pray constantly, alertly, and persistently. Point B, under number three, preach the gospel boldly. And we need to preach the gospel in two directions. One is to others. doesn't matter whether they know the Lord or not. The solution is the gospel. It is running to Jesus. We also need to preach the gospel to ourselves. <clears throat> Let me explain a little bit how that works out in my life. I'm having to unlearn these childhood habits of intuitive thinking and learn new habits of communicating in terms that make sense to others. Another way of saying that is that I'm learning to die to myself. Um, Another way that that's impacted in my life is that uh, I'm an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. And one of the characteristics of that means that um, uh, while I can learn to be people-oriented, Being around people still exhausts me. It's just the way it is. And it's, and it's a matter of, well, Jesus died for me. So shouldn't I die for other people? Yeah, makes sense. That's what he came for. But I still, you know, I still get in that situation. And the worst situation for me, and I don't know if if others of you are introverts, but for me, the worst situation is a wedding reception where I don't know anybody but the bride and groom. <laughs> I have no idea what to do with myself. And uh, you can only hang out at the, uh, at the uh, punch bowl for so long, right? <laughs> and everybody else knows somebody, and they're all talking, and I don't know anybody. And I think, oh. I just, I just get so miserable. So, I got a book. How to Work a Room. (laughs) 
And I am still not an extrovert. But you know what? When I know that I'm going to be in a situation that requires extroversion, I'll go before I go on a trip to the wedding. I'll get this book out and reread it. And oh yeah, okay, that's how. You, okay, you do that. So now I get in the situation, and now I know what to do. I know strategies by which you can meet people. You know, <laughs> it's amazing stuff. My point is, it can be done. And I am living proof of that. I was just complimented the other week on how well I do at meeting strangers at church. I just about laughed my head off. It is a totally unnatural act. But it's, it's something that, uh, that, you, that you can learn. So I'm learning to die to myself. I do that to honor the one who died for me. He gave his life that I might live. He promised that as I give my life to him, I will gain life. So while it feels as I'm giving myself to people, or as I'm trying to practice linear logic, (laughs) horrible stuff, um, he promises that I will gain life through that. And you know what? I believe him. I really do. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, 23 and 24, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So in conclusion, we've reviewed Paul's description of what is happening in God's presence right now. What we can see, hear, and taste might also be real. But there is a lot of important reality we cannot see. Things like germs. Ultimate reality is not defined by what we can see. Ultimate reality is defined by what is happening in the heavenlies, in the presence of God. We recognize that we are in a war not of our choosing, but one in which we are very thankful to be on the winning side. Our main aim in this war is to stand against the devil's schemes, to believe the truth rather than his deceptions. Our armor, our weapons have tremendous strength. They are truth, righteousness, gospel, faith, salvation, and God's word. We can do amazing things with these weapons. We can be proud to bear them. And finally, our action is to pray and to preach. We pray all the time and we preach the gospel boldly to ourselves and to others. Now, in a few minutes, we will gather in small groups to make plans for the coming battles in this war. There are three key questions on the back of your outline that will help you. Let me encourage you to draw near to your brothers and sisters and consider how you can be more intentional about choosing God's side rather than the devil's and resolve to support one another with words of encouragement and prayer. (laughs) This morning we're also going to uh, celebrate the, the Lord's Supper. And what we're doing here is remembering... Jesus' sacrifice for us, how he chose to extend himself for others 
and staged the biggest rescue mission history has ever seen. You know, it cost him his life. God's resurrection power is immense. It's enormous. But to be resurrected, you have to die. The one, the one perfect one, the one worthy one, laid his life down for a kingdom of rebels to make them into a kingdom of his, of his sons. And that's what we celebrate this morning. We remember what Jesus did for us. And it makes all of this possible. <clears throat> In First uh, Corinthians, Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night when he was, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I would encourage you that if you know Christ, um, we're going to take a few minutes that you you take some time and think about um, what it is that Jesus did. And think about, uh, is there some sin that you need to repent of? Is there some way that you need to return Uh, to the Lord. The answer is run to Jesus. He really does accept us. If you don't know the Lord, I would encourage you to put your faith in him this morning and to celebrate communion for the first time for real. If you don't know Christ and and you don't want to, I would encourage you just to, to not participate. Let's, uh, let's spend a few minutes in prayer and uh, go before the Lord and ask him uh, what needs to change in our lives. Let's repent of our sins and turn to him in faith.